Welcome to Susan Cooper Wynn's Probability and Statistics class. So you might be wondering why do I need to take statistics and I can tell you that that is a harder question for me to answer in an algebra class than it is in a statistics class because this is a data driven world that we live in. Uh, the need to understand statistical terminology and jargon is just growing increasingly more important. Um, if you think about it, even inanimate objects such as bridges, like the Tower Bridge in London, toys have Twitter accounts. So, you know, Barbie, heck, even Barbie has a tw is tweeting. Uh, so some people don't like the idea of so much data being collected on them or what they do or what they buy or where they go. They don't like the idea of Big Brother watching over us. But whether we like it or not, each one of us has a digital fingerprint. We are all walking data sets. And we hear on the news all the time about profiling, all sorts of profiling. So the need to work with data and analyze databases is going to become exponentially important in the upcoming years. And some people even say that those that do not have statistical knowledge and a knowledge of mathematics might be left in the dust. So you may be wondering why you need to take statistics. And I can tell you that people that have a strong math and stats background are going to become increasingly more necessary in the decades to come. So let's dive in. On that note, let's dive into some really important vocabulary that you know, we would need to get familiar with at the beginning of the term because we're going to hear it throughout the entire term. So let's start with data in general. You have a data set. First thing I'm going to ask you is, is it qualitative or quantitative? So examples of qualitative data, hair color, eye color, political affiliation, gender, they're categorical data, right? You can't perform arithmetic operations on them. That's another way to say it. Um, quantitative, is your data quantitative? Weight, blood pressure, salary, density, something that is numerical, uh, something that you could perform arithmetic operations such as addition and subtraction on if you needed to. So I think it's it's pretty easy for uh, people to decide whether they have qualitative or quantitative data for starters. Next thing I'm going to ask you when you look at your data, I'm going to say what level of measure is it? Is it nominal? And this is in order, not from least to greatest, nominal, ordinal, interval, or ratio level of data. So just some examples to get you comfortable Nominal data is like hair color, eye color, jersey, your basketball jersey number, gender, no rank. And I'll just put that here. There's no ranking characteristic. I'm just going to kind of write that off to the side here. So there's no inherent rank. Uh, where with ordinal level data, there is inherent rank, such as fresh, your class rank, let's say freshman, sophomore, junior, senior. But there's no set difference between values or you can't perform arithmetic operations on freshman and sophomore, right? Um, order of finish of a race. Now, order of finish, I mean, did you finish first, second, third, or fourth, right? So there's rank, but they still seem to be almost categories, right? Now, when you get to the interval level of data, an example would be like temperature or chronological time. Now, notice in the zero point is arbitrary. I'm going to write that here. So in the interval level, zero is arbitrary, 
meaning it doesn't mean lack. So when you say it's zero degrees outside, it doesn't mean there is no temperature. There's things that are below zero. There's things that are above zero. So zero doesn't mean lack of a temperature. So zero is just a point on the scale with regard to temperature. Um, even in chronological time, right, when you say the year was zero, well, there was before zero, BC, and there's after zero. So now with the ratio level of data, though, that's your highest level of data. Blood pressure, weight, wages, time it took for you to finish an exam. The ratio of values has meaning and you could perform arithmetic operations on those and they're clearly numerical and there's clearly rank. Uh, so I'll let you read through the the text uh, if you want you know more detailed explanations of those. Is your is your data next? Is your data quantitative? And if so, is it discrete or is it continuous? Well here's some examples of discrete data. Discrete means the result of a count. So number of kids number of cars, number of houses. So it's the result of a count. It can take on only a finite you know, number of values. You can't have 2.87 kids, right? So continuous data can take on an infinite number of values in a given domain. So it's typically the result of a measure. And I'll just say that here. Result of a measure. In fact, I'll just scoot that right under there. So continuous uh, data, I have some examples there, weight, time, velocity, distance, something that's the result of a measure and, and can take on an, an infinite amount of values within a given domain. So if you think about it, is it possible to measure time to a millisecond, to a nanosecond, right? So it depends. Could you have 2.83572 seconds, right? So you could take on an infinite supply of values within a given domain. Now, sample versus population. When you have your data set, I'm going to ask you, is it a sample or is it a population? Well, a sample is a subset or part of a population. A population is a collection of all objects, whether they're humans or inanimate objects, all objects are subjects to be studied. So it's really a question of do you have all of them, all of them that exist, or do you have some subset of them or portion of them? Portion of them would be a sample. Then once you know whether you have a sample or a population, you inherently know whether you're going to be collecting statistics or parameters. A statistic is any characteristic coming from your sample, and a parameter is any characteristic coming from the population. So if I have the population of all students and I want to look at their GPAs, I'm going to be looking at the population parameter GPA. But if I just randomly select 10 students, let's say, from my statistics class, well, that's a sample, that's a subset, and I'll be looking at sample statistics there. So you, it'll be fairly obvious, I think, as we go along. All right, now let's jump, for time's sake, let's jump to the next slide. We're going to start looking at popular ways to display your data. So once you have your data set, how do you want to display it? Well, I could tell you that pie charts, and I'm sure you're familiar with them, are good for displaying percents of categorical data. So here we have a survey of 200 patients at a hospital, so that's a sample, um, indicates how often, 
indicates how often hospitals use four different kinds of painkillers. So use this information to construct a circle graph illustrating the percent each painkiller was used. So you can see here we 200 being the, the sample space, so we've surveyed 200 patients and how many of each you know, took a particular painkiller. Now if you were going to create a, a pie chart by hand, I have that laid out there for some nice nightly reading. But I'm hoping you're, and you know, here's the, here's the pie chart, but I'm hoping you're thinking, gee, how do I do this in Excel? Because that's probably what the world does, right? So I have that for you. Let me go to sheet one here. All right. So it's as simple as, let's go to the insert button. Let's just highlight all of this and let's go over to pie chart. Let's go with the first option. So it gives us this. We see ibuprofen. It makes sense. The most amount of people were given ibuprofen. And then if you want um, percents on your pie chart, you just click this button and voila. And like I said, you can click on chart title and title it uh, as you like. Oops. Okay, so now one thing we see, you know, from the get-go, and I'm going to try and highlight that here, it draws our attention to the fact that ibuprofen, the most, 52% of the people were given ibuprofen. So majority, you could say majority of the people were given ibuprofen. Now you can see that obviously by looking at the numbers, but I like that this displays what percent of the sample was given what. It just gives you that quick visual aid. So that's why a lot of people like pie charts to display percent of um, categorical data. You can also notice, let's see if it'll let me copy paste this here. I'll hit pause. Okay, so I snipped this into my smart notebook so you could see something. Um, notice that, uh, let me pick a good one here. Here, notice that 104 people out of 200 people, well, that's 52%, right? But there's 360 degrees in a circle, so 52% of 360, that would be 187 degrees central angle. Well, you remember from geometry, if I swing from here to here, think about a protractor, that's a little more, straight line, straight across would have been 180 degree rotation. So from here to here, that is makes sense that it's a little more than 180 degree rotation. So like I said, most people don't go, don't go through the by hand mechanics of creating a, a pie chart anymore. They just do it in Excel, but I have it on there for your viewing pleasure. Um, okay, now let's go to the next one. Uh, brief note on histogram. A histogram is a graph with observed values on the horizontal, on the x-axis, and frequencies on the y-axis, or your vertical scale. Construct a histogram of this uh, frequency distribution. So by the way, a frequency distribution is just a table with your, you know, here's X basically, here's Y. Uh, frequency distribution could have classes here, class bounds, or in this case it's a, you're looking at a discrete, number of pets is a discrete random variable, so you're looking at discrete values here. Well you can see, let's just talk about it, I already have it pasted in for time's sake. You can see that the height of the bar corresponds to the so six people had zero pets. Okay, now let's look at the height of this bar. All right, 10 people had one pet. 
and you can see how that visually illustrates what we're seeing in our table. Okay, and that simultaneous, simultaneously gives you the shape of the distribution. You know, when the tail is to the right like that, we have slight right skew. Tail is to the right, skewed right. We're going to be talking about shape a lot more in the near future. Uh, just brief mention, a frequency polygon is a line graph with observed values on the horizontal scale and frequencies on the vertical scale. So you can see that all we do, think about this. What if I just took the midpoint, I'm going to do this in another color. What if I just took the midpoint of each one of these here rectangles and connected the dots, right? So that's base, and then anchored it, and then anchored it to the x-axis. Excuse the pen. <laughs> That's terrible. The pen was being fussy. But you can see that if I did that, hey, I'd have this frequency polygon right here. Okay? So you're just taking the midpoint of those rectangles, in essence, and connecting the dots and anchoring to the x-axis. And that's exactly what we have here. So it's just another visual aid that, gee, the majority of the people have one pet. And a very few people have a four pets. Okay? Um... Let's, for time's sake, let's take a look at a stem and leaf. So if it's been a while since you've done a stem and leaf display, or if you've never, what I have here is I have a data set. This is the number of miles that 20 workers have to drive to work. So commutes, right? Commutes in miles. Uh, construct a stem and leaf display. <clears throat> well, I have it here. And notice how you would you would read that like zero three means somebody took three miles to get to work. Aha! But notice that there's this is your stem and this is your leaves. I'm going to write that here. These are your leaves, and these are your stems. So you can kind of think of the leaves as the ones digit. You can kind of think of the stem as the tens digit in this case scenario right? So that's why you see two leaves that are three for the two people that took three miles to get to work, right? And how would you read, you know, how would you read this? Well, somebody took a 43 miles for a commute. Well, there they are, 43 miles to get to work. Okay, but you might be thinking, gee, how am I going to do that in Excel? So I'm going to use the Megastat add-in to help us do that. <clears throat> Let's go to the next sheet here. So I have all of these commute times. These are all, I have them all typed into one column, first of all, right? So you type them into one column, and then you hit pause as I get the Megastat add-in. Yes, <clears throat> so you can all get the Megastat add-in. You know, you can Google it and download it. But Megastat? I'm going to go to Descriptive Statistics, and what's neat here, you see all kinds of things, right? I can ask for the mean, the average uh, commute in miles, uh, the standard deviation, all that good stuff, and we haven't talked about that yet, so I'm just going to target now. I could ask for the box plot, the dot plot, um, but I'm just going to target the stem and leaf because that's the only thing we want right now, and then input range, and then just go ahead and highlight your data set and go back 
and let's hit OK. And voila, it, it constructs the stem and leaf for you. So and that's just a nice feature of Megastat, so you don't have to sift through that data yourself. Okay, um, now let's flip to the next slide. What if you want to compare the following data represent marital status of U.S. residents 18 years or older in 1990 and 2006? So we want side-by-side -side relative frequency bar graphs of the data to kind of get a visual, you know, are more people married in 2006 than they were in 1990? Um, does it look significant? So clearly I have the answer snipped in here. Looks like more people were married in 1990 than, and this is relative frequency. Oh, I did want to mention this. Relative frequency is a fancy word for percent, right? So you have, if you were to do this by hand, you would have to create these raw tallies to percentages. But like I said, chances are Excel's gonna do that for us, right? So I'll show you what I've done. I'm gonna go over to, <clears throat> to this sheet, three. Thank goodness someone invented Excel, right? Creating a side-by-side, -side, um, sometimes called a clustered bar chart is, is, is so easy now in the latest version of Excel. So all you have to do is highlight your data set, just as I am now, and go to Insert, and go to Column Chart, and just pick this first option. And poof, look at that, it clusters it for you. And voila, there it is. So um, it used to be a lot tougher to do a clustered, uh, clustered bar chart than, than it is now with this later version of Excel. So, and again, that just gives you a quick visual, 2006. Let me check on something here. Aha, I just realized you caught me there because I realized it didn't match with the answer. What I created here was a frequency bar chart. Aha, not a relative frequency. So I wanted to um, reiterate that. That's a frequency bar chart. That's why it doesn't match because it looks like that a higher amount was married in 2006. There's where it's misleading. But when you look at the percentages, you know, you have to get the total. So I'm going to hit pause as we do that. This is a frequency bar chart. Then we'll take a look at the relative frequency bar chart, which is what was asked for. So I assumed you're, you're kind of comfortable with, with Excel, but just to make sure. So you see here I added up the <clears throat> total amount. And this is in millions for 2006. So you see here the you know the 219.7. But what I'm going to do to try I'm trying to get relative frequencies or percents. So clearly I need to take 55.5 and divide it by 219.7. But I want you know the computer to do that for me. So I'm going to write the command here equals, and that would be C2, C2 divided by, and that'd be the 219.7. And what's nice just for that cell, so it does that cell, and then if you haven't done the click and drag thing before, now I'm going to click and drag. See? So now what's neat, even if you look at the command up here, now it took C3 and divided by 219.7. And then now it took C4 and divided. So it did all of those converting to relative frequencies for me. Now, so we had the frequency bar chart. Now let's retry for the relative frequency bar chart, long story short. So let's highlight all that. 
and insert column. Let's go with that first guy. Now we see, and, and uh, we can title that relative frequency. And now it's matching up better with what we saw in the answer key there. See, we see higher percentage of people married in 1990. Yeah, so looking at the percents is very different than looking at the raw tallies. I'm glad I actually <laughs> made that little mistake on, on purpose. Um, okay, so again, relative frequency versus frequency, two different things. All right. Now, let's for time's sake, let's go to the next slide. Now, what you would do with this, can you organize qualitative data into a frequency distribution? So these are M&Ms, right? How many brown, and I'm going to underline the word frequency, not relative frequency, right? So how many brown, how many yellow, how many red? You can hit pause and sift through that. <clears throat> but, and then once you do that, once you make your frequency um, distribution, can you make a frequency bar graph? a relative frequency bar graph and a Pareto chart. So for time's sake, what I've done is I've snipped in the Pareto chart. I just wanted to make um, a note that a Pareto chart is just a relative frequency bar chart with the bars in descending order. So you see here the bars go in descending order. So and just remember, now we know because luckily I just did that on, on the last example, relative frequency means percent. So once you create and I'll just make a general schema for you here. So you have your colors, right? Your different colors. And then you have your tally, which is your count. And then you make another column for percent, right? And that's, that's what's gonna lead you to your Pareto chart. So I'll let you play with that one on your own. And last but not least is the histogram. This is a whopper. So the following, this is our final one, the following data represent the time between eruptions for a random sample of 45 eruptions at Old Faithful, Old Faithful, Geyser in Wyoming. <clears throat> so again, this is the time between eruptions. And, and of course that's in seconds. So, you know, 728 seconds, 730 seconds, constructive frequency and relative frequency distribution for the data. Well, what I like to do is go backwards. And I said, hint, once you make a histogram, you can easily go backwards and make your frequency distribution. And you can comment on the shape of the distributions. You can make frequency polygons very easily and ogives, etc. <clears throat> but for this course, we're going to focus mainly on the histogram. Okay. So what I've done and uh, this time I'm going to switch and use the calculator. I've put all of the eruption times in L1. So you didn't see me do it, but I'll show you how I did it. I hit stat. See, it says edit. I hit enter. And I just typed all of these observations in. Now, if you look, this is, uh, this is 45, 45 observations here, right? But they all went in L1. Your calculator is like, like Excel, right? List one. So once you have that in L1, you can hit second stat plot, and you can hit enter. 
and you can highlight the word on, hit enter, and then go down to the guy that looks like the histogram and hit enter. So you highlight by hitting enter. And then it says your it's telling you here your data is in L1, which it is. And then you want to view your histogram. So from now until the end of the course, zoom, zoom, stat. So hit zoom and go all the way down to zoom stat. That's how you're going to view all of your statistical graphs. Hit enter. And voila. Now if I hit trace, if I hit trace, see I get the class bound 672 to 683. That means there were two um, eruptions that you know had between 672 and 6 eruption times between 672 and 683 seconds. I should say the time between eruptions. There were two cases where the time between eruptions uh, was that much. Let's keep let's keep hitting trace glide over the class bounds. This means there were no cases where the eruption times were between 683 and 694. Here, majority, there were 14 cases where eruption times was between 694 and 705. That's called your modal class. Most observations lie between those bounds. Seven cases where eruption times were between 705 and 716. But by looking at this histogram, etc., by looking at this histogram, we get the feel that it's fairly normally distributed, right? It's not severely skewed left or skewed right. So just know that you can make your frequency distribution um, from your histogram. So I just wanted to get you situated with seeing your histogram. And I can steal those class bounds and those tallies right there from that histogram. All right, hope that helps. I'm going to shrink that down. I, don't, I typically don't like when videos or podcasts are 25 minutes long, um, but uh, we had a lot of information and a lot of vocabulary there. So for the first lesson. So good luck out there. Catch you on the next one.